Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast. Uh, it's been a while since I've been with you, at, at least in this format. We are going to pick back up in the book of Haggai, but a few quick notes before we get started. I have been a busy man. <laughs> There's been a lot going on. Um, I have not been able to record audio the way that I uh, would like. We have been doing a lot of work on our computers with Windows new updates upgrading to Windows 11, it began breaking a lot of my uh, recording equipment. It got to the point to where I was just inoperable and um, I was unable to record anything or edit anything. Anytime I tried, it just, it just was not cooperating and became incredibly difficult. So what I ended up doing is, some of you may be wondering, did he switch to Apple? Not a chance. <laughs> no, I shifted. I moved everything over to Linux. I am using uh, the Manjaro operating system with the GNOME desktop. And it has been a blessing. Now, it's taken a while to learn new applications and uh, to figure out what we're going to use. And, and there's just there's just so much available in the, the, the Linux operating system or the world of Linux operating systems. Um, you know, the, I, I'm amazed at how advanced it's become. I, I've used Linux off and on for about maybe 10 years. And, um, anytime I've tried to switch to Linux, it just didn't quite meet my needs the way that I would like. And, um, so this time I decided to give it a chance because Windows is going through all its changes. And, uh, it, it was just causing problem after problem. And it got to the point to where I, I couldn't, I couldn't continue my workflow. I'm extremely busy, and so I didn't have time to fight with a com with a computer. So we switched. O I switched over to Linux and got got everything set up, and it has been just wonderful ever since. I'm I'm really happy with it. The programs we're using work incredibly well, and um, also having to make some equipment changes. My my entire recording system was set up for me to record directly into the computer which has a lot of limitations, but I, I, I've been able to get by with it, you know, thus far. 
uh, well, with this change, you know, it, it, you're not supposed to be able to record into the computer the way that I ha have been and, um, and switching over to Linux, you know, amplified that problem or that reality that you're really not supposed to be able to do what I've been doing with USB microphones going into a computer. Um, it, it's kind of a limited setup, especially if you have, you can do it with two people or you can do it with one person. But when you get beyond that, you know, recently, recently I did an interview with brother Keith Stensis and his father, Brian Stensis. And, um, you know, that takes three people and it was just, it, you know, it was, it's, it's difficult to do that directly into a computer. So I'm changing out some equipment and trying to set up uh, in such a way that I can record outside the computer and then I just import the audio when it's complete. And and I, I wanted to try and uh, remove that step of having to move the audio from a recording device into the computer, but it really has been so much better doing doing it that way. Uh, you know, the audio has been much cleaner. Um, the The editing programs we're using on Manjaro have been wonderful. So I'm, I'm very happy with it. I'm back up and running. We can now record. Now you're going to start noticing some um, uh, some new series popping up on the podcast. I am currently teaching in the Bible school here at Masaka Independent ba Baptist Church, or uh, excuse me, Masaka Bible College up and running several years ago. I don't know how long he's been doing this now, but but for a long time. And so he he's allowed me to take part of that and um and I am teaching the history and preservation of the King James Bible. And I'm going to be recording that audio and making it available on the podcast. The primary purpose for that is for the students in the class to be able to go back and listen, but also to make available to anyone interested in the history and preservation of the English Bible. That audio will be available for anyone who wants to listen. Also, soon you will be hearing me teach um, my Sunday school classes, Pastor Paul, the pastor of Masaka Independent Baptist Church, graciously allows me to teach the men's Sunday school class. And currently we're going verse by verse through Matthew. Um, now I'm, I'm going to start, I'm going to add those to the podcast as well, but here's the caveat with those. They are, again, the target for those are English speaking people as well as Luganda speaking people. So those will be taught with a translator. And some of you might be interested in listening to that. Most of you probably won't. And I fully understand. But the, the purpose of that audio is to be, is to make it available to the Luganda speaking world so that they can hear the word of God taught both in English and Luganda. And that's the region of Africa that we live in, uh, uh, more specifically the region of Uganda that we live in is called the Buganda Kingdom, or at least at one time, it, it, it comprised what is the Buganda Kingdom. Now, the country is Uganda. And um, though many of the, the, the tribal kings still exist, and, those, uh, and they exist within the regions that they, that they previously ruled over, they have little power now. Um, the federal government does work with them in some capacity, and and um, it does try to give them some power here and there, uh, not so much political. It's, it's more about attempting to unite the country and, and keep these kings happy so they don't stir the people up to rebellion or, or you know, things of that sort. So, uh, but the, the, the point is, those people still exist and they still speak that language. 
It's a blessing in Uganda. Their national language is English, but that that only goes so far. When you're in a major city or a large town, we're in Masaka. A goodly number of people in Masaka um, speak English, but you just go a few miles outside of Masaka, and it begins to uh, the the number of English speakers begins to reduce drastically. And so, uh, I'm going to dedicate a portion of the podcast to try and minister to those people. Those, those are the people that I am here to, to serve and to try and win to the Lord Jesus Christ and teach the Bible. Uh, so that's just a few notes. Um, for those of you wondering, uh, you know, many of you have reached out to me and asked, hey, did you, did you fall off the, the earth? <laughs> Where did you go? Well, I, I've, I've been working on computers probably since November. Now, October, things just really ramped up here. We became extremely busy. And then in the midst of that, trying to get my computer squared away, um, it, it's just been an unbelievably busy time. I went through, I, I tried uh, probably five or six Linux operating systems out of the probably 1,000 that exist. And um, and none of them quite fit the bill until I got to Manjaro. Manjaro has been excellent. Um, and, and the known de- desktop has been excellent. It, it runs it's unbelievably light runs unbelievably well and it's just been enjoyable to have so praise the lord now back to our regularly scheduled <laughs> broadcast the book of haggai and we're going to pick back up where we left off and we are going to finish this book and just just a heads up the next book I'm going to start when this one is finished and and lord willing I hope to have this book finished uh by by the end of February, maybe early March, um, we're going to continue putting the audio out each Monday until until we get through the book of Haggai. And Lord willing, future broadcasts won't be so disjointed. So pray for me as I try and keep this on schedule. But um, the local schedule dictates. So if, if the podcast has to be put on pause temporarily, it just has to be put on pause. But but I enjoy doing it and enjoy making this available. And, and I really am encouraged by the feedback that I get from it and the people that, that have said it's helping them. So I really want to continue and make it available uh, as oft as I can. But we're going to finish the book of Haggai. And when that's done, Lord willing, we're going to pick up the book of Zechariah. Uh, the two ministered at the same time. They preached to uh, Judah at the same time. They had the same purpose, but uh, Zechariah preached much longer and and had some far more interesting messages <laughs> than Haggai. So we're going to pick up in that book when this one is done, and I think that'd be an enjoyable study, especially since the two are so closely related. So this current study, the book of Haggai, again, Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, is going to be the third podcast covering the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this was going to be a little bit different because the focus is on the desire of all nations. So let's let's read the passage, Haggai 2, verses 6 through 9. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. 
So in, in case you were wondering, it, it would be the Lord of hosts that is speaking. <laughs> um, he makes that abundantly clear. This is his message. These are his words, though he did use a man to go and speak it to Judah. But in this third message, the Lord blesses Israel with promises that would facilitate Judah's perseverance. They're going through a hard time. And in the midst of this hard time, the Lord shows up and he wants to encourage them by telling them the desire of all nations shall come. This third focus on the second coming of Jesus Christ, our point is to, to look at this idea of him being the desire of all nations, because that's what he is. He is what everybody is looking for. The problem is when they find out that what they're looking for is found in Jesus Christ, that's when they turn back and they walk away. Now, why? Well, everybody has different reasons as to why. Uh, none valid, but they would rather reject the Lord. They would rather reject Jesus Christ. They would rather suffer and go to hell in some cases before they are willing to, to humble themselves and bow down to, to the Savior who wants to bless them, who loved them so much he died for them, who wants them to have eternal life, who, want, who, who paid for their sins. He shed his own blood to pay for their sins. He's made all this available to them, the happiness they're looking for, the joy they're looking for, the peace they're looking for. Everything that every nation desires is found in Jesus Christ. Now, he's coming again, and you can be prepared for that coming, or you can be unprepared. There are dire consequences to, to placing yourself on either side of that equation. And you want to be properly prepared when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So he's speaking to Judah here. And as captives recently set free, they're, they're struggling to regain their bearing as God's elect nation. The Lord has high expectations of any people who belong to him. That, that will never change. That's always the case. And modern Christians really struggle with that idea. They think God has no expectations, but that, that's, that's not the case. If you belong to the Lord, he has high expectations of you. And Judah's initial return, as we've covered uh, uh, in depth in this study, was strong. They came back. They immediately rebuilt the altar according to the law of Moses. They began singing praises to the Lord according to the way David did it. And they, and they got to work on the foundation of the house of God. They started strong, but they soon became disconnected from their instruction and their purpose in the promised land. First, he sent Haggai with a strong rebuke. And you can see that in chapter one. It's a rough message. It'd be hard to take. It'd be hard to hear. You know, I love the Lord. I, I want him as best I can. I want him to be pleased with me. But I'm, I'm certain the reality is he could sit down with me and say, <laughs> I have some ought against thee. <laughs> and it would be hard to hear, but it, we need to hear it. And then praise the Lord, Judah repented. Soon after they heard that message from Haggai, they repented and they began to work on the house of God again. Now, this inspired the Lord. And, and our, our repentance and our obedience does inspire the Lord to do things, which is amazing. But it inspired the Lord to send them a message of encouragement. And at the end of chapter 1, the Lord informed Judah, I am with you. Be strong. 
Don't worry about all the trouble around you. I, the Lord, your God, the Lord of hosts, I am with you. Now, by the time the seventh month of the second year of Darius come, comes around, there's no doubt the work is, is it's hard. The adversaries of Judah are, are, are still applying pressure. The people are going through certain uh, cleansing from their sin, as noted in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, the, the Levites married Gentile women, which is against the law and completely against what God said. And, and we find out in the book of Nehemiah, they have improper relationships with, with Gentile powers and, and people that, you know, the adversaries around them. This is a difficult time for Judah. They're not only trying to rebuild their lives in the promised land, they're doing so while stripping themselves of Babylonian thinking and regaining an understanding of the law of Moses. Where was the word of God all that time? I mean, that, that Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and burned the temple to the ground. He took the vessels of God. He burned the city to the ground and took Judah captive. Did he let them take a Bible? Did he allow them to take the word of God with them? Now, praise God, he said he would preserve his word. When they came back, they went right back to the law of Moses. You can read in Ezra. He opens that book and he expounds unto the people. Ezra and, and, and Nehemiah, man, they open that book up and they and they preach God's word to the people. And that's that's a tremendous blessing. Praise the Lord. And so they're trying to remove this. Babylonian thinking that they picked up, but were not supposed to pick up while they were in Babylon for 70 years. I mean, that's, it's hard not to be, it's hard to live in a place like Babylon and belong to God and not vex your righteous soul. And this, this troubled time of hard labor coupled with spiritual distress was cause for encouragement. And people need that from time to time. You know, you look back on the past two years, we're, we're still barely emerging uh, from what they told us was a pandemic. Now, I, I understand, you know, it's, it's easy to rail on COVID-19, then I feel bad about it when I meet someone who lost someone. You know, this, this virus certainly brought about difficulties that we cannot deny and need to be sensitive of. But at the same time, it, it, it in no way justified the world's response. It still doesn't justify the current response and reaction to it. Now, praise the Lord, some countries are starting to declare it endemic, which should have been done in my estimation, which means nothing and, and it's worth uh, it's worth exactly what you paid for it. Uh, they're starting to declare it endemic, meaning that it's it's on par with the common cold or the or the yearly flu. And that should have been done a long time ago, and people's lives should have been restored to them. And you should have been made aware of the danger if you have, you know, uh, certain pre-existing medical conditions. And if you're of a certain age group, COVID-19 is dangerous for you. Occasionally, it's dangerous for other people, but 99.99% will, will run right through it with no trouble, especially at this point with, with the Omicron variants and all of that. Now, why, why am I mentioning all this? Because it just made life so difficult. Here we are in a situation where, where people's lives are ruined over a virus. Suicide rates are through the roof all over the world. Drug use increased drastically all over the world. 
because of, because people couldn't handle this time and this situation and the things that we were going through, plus the pressure put on them and the scare tactics applied to them and the overreaching uh, governments that that intervened in their lives uh, in an unwanted and unnecessary way. There's just so much that happened. People need some encouragement. And the Lord looked at Judah and said, man, you're going through a hard time, but you, you repented. You're trying to obey my word. Let me try and let me give you some encouragement. Let me try to help you out here. And, and so uh, the, the Lord stepped in in a wonderful way to these troubled people in, in, in hard labor and spiritual distress. And he said, work, don't fear, be strong. And yet it is a little while and I will send Emmanuel to ransom Israel. That's, that's what he, that's the hope he gave them to look forward to. Now notice what God does. He did this to the New Testament church and he did this to Israel to, to, to specifically in this situation to Judah. He doesn't come take the trouble away. He says, I'm going to provide you something to look forward to some hope to cling to so that you can sorrow not as those who have no hope. He told Israel, Emmanuel is coming. The desire of all nations is coming. Stay faithful. Keep working. Don't fear. I am with you. He told the New Testament church, Jesus is coming. (laughs) The Lord, he is coming back. He is coming for his church. He is coming for his body. He is coming for his bride. Comfort one another with these words. And so that's the blessed consolation that the Lord provides us. And, and if you'll sit down and think about it, man, it's, it's worth a lot. It's worth its weight. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful reality. Now, this same Emmanuel is the desire of all nations. That'd be Jesus Christ. He is what all nations desperately yearn for, though they're not willing to admit such. And so in, in this lesson, we're going to walk through some of the attributes of Jesus Christ. There are, they are numerous, but we're going to look at a few that make very clear he is the desire of all nations. And, and what I mean by that is he is the desire of every individual heart for peace, for truth, for wisdom, for, for paradise, for prosperity, for love, for joy, for protection. It's all found in Jesus Christ and it's found in him alone. You might find bits and pieces of that, of those things in other places, but you will not get the complete package until you turn to Jesus Christ. So look with me in John chapter one, verse 29. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is that lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God and his purpose for his first advent was to pay for the sins of the world. You don't know anybody that loved you like that. You don't know anybody who would who would leave the wonders of heaven and step down into a sin-cursed world and voluntarily die a brutal death simply for the purpose of paying for sin that he did not commit. It was your sin, it was my sin that put him on that cross and he voluntarily went there. On our behalf, this present evil world scoffs openly at sin, but in the night watches, 
when their hearts are troubled and when they're alone, all men desire to escape the shame and the guilt that is produced by their sin. That's if they'd be honest with you. Honesty and, 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 and a basic attachment to reality is lacking in our world today. You're, you're almost, uh, you're considered racist and bigoted if you want to, if you want to try and operate within the realm of reality. And, but if these people were honest, they may scoff openly at sin, but privately, they know the way of the transgressor is hard. They may not fully understand it, but they know to some extent the trouble in their life and the difficulties in their life primarily extend from their ungodly choices and, and, and their, their, their decision to live a life that fulfills their lust. And that's where they are. And now they can escape that. The misery that comes with that, the, the, the frustration that comes with that, the shame that comes with that. And it's all there. You could try to pretend none of that exists, but it does. And you know it does. You don't have to admit that to me. This is a conversation you need to have with yourself if this is something you're struggling with. But at night, in the dark, when it's quiet, that's why you can't go anywhere without without some sound being pumped into your ears relentlessly. As if anybody had two minutes to, to, to think about life and to think about what's going on around them and to think about the death that's coming, they, they'd, they'd further lose their minds. They've got to be entertained. They have to be amused. Now, if there was only some way to escape that condemnation, <laughs> and there is, the way of escape is not to pretend that condemnation doesn't exist. It does exist, and you know it exists. Your own heart condemns you, and you, and you know it does. But but we we've created a, a world now where everybody, if we can get, if we can pressure enough people to all pretend together that that it doesn't exist, then then maybe the consequences will go away. Maybe the shame will go away. Maybe the heartache will go away. And it's not. That's not going to happen. You're deceiving yourself, and and it's unnecessary. It doesn't have to be that way. All right. Let's look at Revelation chapter three, verse fourteen. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus Christ is faithful and true. Who's not looking for, who's not looking for that? Who doesn't want someone in their life who is faithful and who is true? Everybody hates to be lied to. And yet everybody lies to somebody. <laughs> Every, when, that, that moment when you realize all this time you've been lying to me, you've been misleading me. It's a, it's a crushing, humiliating and, and just breaking moment. Everybody wants someone who is true. Faithfulness. Man, just when you can depend on somebody. How much of a blessing is that? Everybody admires that person, whoever they are in your life who is just faithful to whatever, whether they're faithful to show up to work, they're faithful to do it on time, they're faithful to do the job when they get there, they're, they're, they're faithful to pick you up if they say they're going to pick you up or give you a ride or help you out or 
There, there are just those people in our lives that we look at them and we say, man, that, that person is just faithful. Jesus Christ is faithful and true. He is both. The Bible says, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. So that's one more proof for the deity of Jesus Christ. If God be true and Jesus is faithful and true, well, then, then, you know, then we know he's God and, and, and he is, but he, he is always faithful. The best of people can be hindered. They can get a flat. Their car can break down. Uh, other things come. I mean, there's all sorts of, of, of valid reasons why someone might be hindered. But Jesus Christ is always, always faithful and always, always true. And everybody is looking for that level of, of, of reality, that, that type of realness in our lives. And again, it can be found in Jesus Christ. We want somebody who's authentic. We want people to be honest. We want people to be dependable. Well, you can find that to a limited extent in people, but you can find it in its fullness in Jesus Christ. The Lord can always be trusted. He is a faithful friend and a true Savior. So in a world full of deception and guile, people are desperate for something authentic and true. And we're to a point now where people... They're so desperate for this, they're willing to try anything to see if they can find a moment of satisfaction. And, and it's all, it's all fleeting. It's all empty. It's vain. Vanity, vanity. That's all it is. And until you again are willing to humble yourself and admit, okay, here are the desires of my heart. A, a, a savior, a, a man who is faithful, a person who is faithful, a person who is true. Well, Jesus Christ fits all that. Why won't you come to him? And that's a question that you've got to answer. It's a question that you, it's something you've got to resolve in your heart and in your mind. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So in a world of political turmoil, and, and this is at the heart of, of, of everybody's world today, everybody right now is subject to uh, some political fool. I mean, it's rare to find any political figure today that is not using COVID-19 as a, as a means to scramble for more personal power. And here you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why would you settle for some corrupt, low-level king amongst men when you could serve the King of Kings, who was faithful, who was true, 
who will win the battle. He already told you ahead of time, I'm going to do it, and he will do what he said he's going to do. The past two years have proven to us every government on the planet is corrupt and power hungry. Why not trust the incorruptible king of kings? That's available to you. You could have him. We, we don't get to choose our earthly government. Now you get to go through a process and you get to pretend like your vote counts and, and all that. But, you know, two monkeys are put before you and you're told to choose one. And that's called the democratic process. You know what? I'll take Jesus Christ. He, he washed me in his blood. He loved me so much. He died for me and, and I can trust him. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He'll never tell me wrong. He'll always tell me what's right. I can, he, he is faithful. He is true. He is dependable. He is everything that I want in a leader that I desire in a leader. I'm going to, I'm going to follow him. And, and I'm going to do what he says. And these earthly governments can, they can come deal with him when the time comes if they don't like it. But we do, we, we have a choice. We can go above the heads of these corrupt governments and we can trust in the king who is over and above all kings of the earth. And, and, and I understand the, the present difficulty, but I, again, my, my future hope, what I'm looking forward to as we go through this, this, odd time in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and we'll see how far beyond that it goes. Who knows? Um, but what I'm looking forward to is the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. <laughs> and that day is coming. And praise the Lord, I'm looking forward to it. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Let's see what, let's see what this verse has to say about Jesus Christ. And tell me, uh, you know, honestly, have this conversation with yourself. And if you can convince yourself this is not what you're looking for, then okay, have at it. If you've got something better or you're going to hold out for something better than Jesus Christ, you know, that, that's up to you. That's your choice. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Would it not be great to serve someone who is called wonderful? You have to be some kind of person that, that your, your name, your title, your, your designation is wonderful. Now, I, I often say my wife is wonderful and she is. I have a, I have a great wife. Praise God. Um, I, I, I married, I didn't just marry up. I married up by leaps and bounds. I have a wonderful wife. She is a, she is a great mother. Uh, she is loyal to me. She is faithful to me. And, and she lives in such a way that it is reasonable for me to call her wonderful. Well, imagine, imagine a man, imagine a person that the entire universe would look at and say, <laughs> he is wonderful. This is not some arbitrary appointment of names. He is wonderful. 
and worthy of our service. The verse called him counselor. Who doesn't need a counselor today in this, in this crazy world that we're living in with all that's going on? Jesus is the counselor. We desperately need guidance as we deal with the, the struggles of this world. Why not devote yourself to the one whose name is counselor? He is so wise. He is so knowledgeable. They just call him counselor, the mighty God. Now here's where we're going to run into some trouble. I was okay with wonderful. I was okay with counselor, but I don't know about this God thing. <laughs> it's a total package. It, it all comes in one person. You can't have, if, if, if the Jesus that you have devoted yourself to is not God, if he's not the mighty God, you have the wrong Jesus. Isa in Islam is not, he can't help you. There's nothing he can do for you. The, the Jesus of Mormonism cannot help you. It's a false Christ. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses cannot help you. The Jesus of the Catholic Church can uh, not help you. Uh, you know they're going to tell you to, to they're going to tell you to forego going to Jesus and go to his mother instead, or the Pope's going to put himself between you and Jesus. He can't help you. You need the Jesus of the Word of God. He is the mighty God. People desire him to be their God. As long as he is a God, small G-O-G-O-D, made in their image, then they they can tolerate him. But if he's the God of the Bible, well, I I don't know if I want that. As long as he's going to expect holiness or righteousness, then men would rather set aside all the gain and benefit that comes from trusting in Christ because they don't want him to challenge their life in any way. I was recently witnessing to an Israeli uh, lady in in Kampala, and she's a good friend. I, get, I see her from time to time. Uh, she, she, her, and s- some other uh, Israelis have moved here, and they run a business here that's been very helpful to us. And uh, so I see them maybe once a month, once every two months. And this time, she decided to ask me about Jesus. And what she asked me was if if he died, and he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Doesn't that mean my sins are already paid for? I said, well, no, the, that means the payment is available. Have you received that payment? And, you know, of course, that's where the conversation really, really got started. And I said, you know, we, we, we had a long, very good conversation. And um, we ended up in the Old Testament. And she said, you know, you know, we Jews are offended when you call it the Old Testament. And I said, well, you know, we, we Christians are offended when you don't call it the Old Testament. So whose offense are we going to be concerned about? And so she started laughing, and, and we had a good, honest conversation. But she said something interesting. We, we, we finally got to the crux of the issue. And, and I told her, you, you have to humble yourself and trust in Jesus Christ. And she said, if he's going to change me, then I'm not going to trust him. I said, well, that's your choice. And that, that's the heart of the issue. That's the heart of the matter. That, that's, that's people's problem. If Jesus has expectations of me, and if trusting in him means, means I become a new creature uh, who, whose life is, is going to strive for righteousness and holiness, then I'm not interested. I don't want him. I'll take his counsel. I'll, I'll tell you he's wonderful. You know, I'm okay with all that. 
if he wants to make me happy and give me peace and joy and all those things, I'm okay with that. But if he's going to change me, morally speaking, I'm not interested. And, and that's, at least she was honest. You know, I appreciated her candor and her honesty. Uh, <laughs> pray for her. If she does not trust in the Lord, you all know, if you're listening to this podcast, it's, there's a good chance you, you know what's going to happen to that woman, to the, to that woman's soul when she passes from this life to the next. And we don't want to see that happen. Now, he is the everlasting father. As someone who grew up without a father, this particular attribute is special to me. You know, I, I belong to the everlasting father. Despite the broken nature of my earthly family, I belong to God. He, my father is in heaven. He, he, he is a father to me. He can teach me how to be a father to my children. I, I didn't have that growing up. My mom was 16 years old and homeless when she had me, and she did the best that she could to raise her three children. And without a father, you, you know, God designed the family for there to be a father and a mother, and, and the, the, the two sides of that equation serve to, to raise a well-rounded human being. You need that, you need both sides of that equation to be present. And, and it wasn't in my home. I had my stepfather eventually came along and, and, uh, he's a good man. He did the best he could to, you know, he, he spent time with us and, and, uh, was heavily involved in our lives and treated my mother well. And, and, um, after several men who did not or, or, you know, a few men who did not. And, uh, so I, I praise the Lord for that. And if it wasn't for a hardworking, dedicated mother and then eventually my stepfather who tried to teach me some good things, he, he was that, that kind of man that would send you out to go cut, you know, the, the elderly lady's yard in your neighborhood for free because it was a good thing to do. You know, it's just little details, little things like that. You know, a hardworking mom and then, and then a man who tried to teach me some, some decency and some morality. There's no telling where I would be, especially growing up in Memphis and the surrounding area. I, I was hungry for trouble, but, I had people in my life who taught me some sense. <laughs> and then eventually I got saved. I trusted in Jesus Christ. I didn't do that till I was 29 years old. And I began to read my Bible and let my heavenly father teach me how to be a man. Because up until that point, I didn't know that. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it was. I'd have told you I was a man. I'd have told you very angrily. And uh, but God taught me what it really means to be a man. God said, "You want to you want to show yourself to be a man. Remember, I'm God. <laughs> That's a blessing. I enjoy that. I like that. I have a Father in heaven, and the Bible says He's the Prince of Peace. What nation does not desire peace? That 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 word such a such an empty buzzword in in our world today." <laughs> But Jesus Christ can can provide peace that the world does not understand. And we know they don't understand it because it doesn't exist. They keep trying to uh, force it upon people, but there is no peace. They're, they're like those uh, false pastors in Jeremiah. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's like if you just go around saying it enough that, that everybody's supposed to, again, pretend like it actually exists and it, and it, and it doesn't. It's just, just emptiness. We are constant talk about peace. Peace in the Middle East. 
peace in the Balkans, peace in certain African nations. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, you can see he took two people who hated each other, the Jews and the Gentiles, and, and through his blood, he broke down the middle wall of partition and made of twain one body. He brought the world, he brought, you know, battling factions together into one body. And now Christians who believe the Bible, we don't care about your background. We don't care about your culture. We don't care about your skin color. We don't care about your, your gender or your, your sexuality or any of these, these idiotic buzzwords that are used to divide the world. We don't, we don't focus on our flesh. We focus on the fact we're all together a part of the church of God. And that's what Jesus does. He, he can bring the world together. He can bring rich people and poor people together. He can bring black people and white people together. He can teach men and women how to live together in a, in a righteous and a holy and a respectable and wonderful way. There, there's so much good about Jesus. You don't have enough time for me to tell you about it all. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, that he come, he that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. What nation or individual does not desire grace and truth? Grace is wonderful. From anyone, in any direction, in any way, but especially coming from God. You know, grace is one of those things that, man, it, it can melt your heart. When someone treats you graciously, oh, it can, it can break you down. It can really do something to you. And, and the fact that God would do that, God is gracious. God is wonderful. God is so good. And he doesn't have to be. It's, it's not required of him, but he chose to show us grace. Man, when, when, when you're in trouble and you're in the midst of something, you get yourself into some trouble and, and you know it's your fault and you just know that so and so is going to be so angry with me. I made a terrible mistake. And then you go and you confront them and you face them and you admit what you did. And then when they respond with grace, oh, you talk about relief. And, and now, now think about that on the scale of eternity in hell. <laughs> Praise God for his grace. Truth is special. Truth is invaluable. Truth is rapidly fleeting in the world today. Nobody wants to live according to truth because if they did, uh, if they did, it means they'd have to be honest and admit some realities that they don't want to admit to. So you're supposed to ignore truth, show no grace, and attack anyone and everyone who does not believe what you believe or think the way you think. You know, I can, I can be very honest about what I believe. I can defend it. I will defend it. I do defend it. But I can do so respectfully and graciously 
and, and I can walk away agreeing to disagree. Now, I, I know there are going to be consequences for you if you disagree with the Word of God. I'm not saying, and I want to be clear, it, it, my, my approach to this is not that I am always right. My approach is the Word of God is always right, and I want to learn more of it and believe more of it and, and apply more of it to my life. And the more that I do that, the more it pleases God and the more right I become by nature of my following the Word of God not by establishing my own opinions. And that's the difference. You want to force me to bow, bow to your opinions about gender and about race and about, you know, whatever else life throws at you. And I want you to trust God. I want you to trust the word of God. I'm not, I don't have an opinion I'm trying to force upon you. I'm trying to help reveal to you the truth of the Word of God in the hopes that you will say, okay, I'm going to believe God and do what God says since He, I don't know, created the world? <laughs> since He determines what happens to you based upon your your receiving or rejecting of His Word? I'd, I'd say that's quite, that's pretty important. And so you want to escape reality through alcohol, through ju- drugs, through uh, pretending that you're something you're not or you're someone you're not or using bully tactics to establish, you know, temporal power as though that's going to last into eternity somehow. You know, it's, it's so empty and it's so vain. But if you think that way and you want to live that way, that's up to you. That's okay. I, I, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to attack you. I'm not going to kick you off the internet. I'm not going to try and get all my friends to go after you. I'm not, I'm not doing that because you disagree with me and because you don't want to live the way that I live or you don't want to live according to the Bible. That's your choice. But, but when I disagree with you <laughs> or when people like me disagree with you, you assemble the hordes and you start going after people and tearing people apart and and it's ungodly. It's not good. And, and you know, that sword has two edges to it. The problem is when you go after people that you disagree with is you can always find someone to disagree with on the most minute levels. So you're constantly going after someone. You're constantly having to cancel someone or, or tear somebody apart. It's, it's, it's a sad life to live. Why would you want to live that way? You hate everybody in the name of tolerance. <laughs> like that, it's, it's such a twisted and confused approach to life. Grace. Grace is wonderful. Grace is a wonder, is available for you. Grace is available for me. Grace is available for me to extend to you. It's available for you to extend to me. But most importantly, grace is available from God and you want it. By the grace of God, Christ suffered on the cross. That's, that's, that's in the book of Hebrews. That's huge. You want God's grace. And I, it is the desire of all nations. They want God to be gracious. They do not want God to deal with them in accord with their sin. God's grace and God's mercy, man, you talk about a, a package that is that is wonderful, beautiful. You should be thankful for God's grace and God's mercy. 
And all of that is bound up in Jesus Christ. And he's what everybody wants. All right, last one, Revelation 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our, from our sins in his own blood. You know, that, that just requires a moment of silence. To sit back and think about that, you talk about grace. Of all the ways Almighty God could have saved people's souls. Now, when you think about his design, it wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't just, I guess I'll sacrifice my son. Something or someone had to pay and had to pay in such a way that, that it settled, it settled the transgression of every person that would ever enter into the world, past, present, and future. And, and what God discovered through all that and, and the, the conclusion the Lord came to is that the only way for that to be done was for him to sacrifice himself. Now, you could, now imagine yourself in that situation. You know, I think of myself in that situation, like, well, that stinks for them. (laughs) I mean, I have to die. I didn't do anything wrong. They did. Why do I have to die for them? But that's not the guy. That's not the Lord's. That's not the Lord's approach. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to wash them in my own blood. That's available to you. I hope you understand. He loved you so much. He shed his own blood to wash your sin. Yours, not his own. He had no sin of his own. No one displayed their love for mankind like Jesus Christ ever and ever and and never will. You should, you should flee to Jesus, run to him for refuge, run to him for peace. Run to him for hope, run to him for love, run to him for forgiveness, for grace, for truth. There's just so much available to you in Jesus Christ. And and if you sit down and you'll be honest with yourself and you'll think about it, he is the culmination of the desire of every individual and of every single nation. It's all bound up in Jesus Christ. And it's available to you. Every nation desires someone to lead them that exhibits these exact attributes. But when they find out it means trusting in Christ, (laughs) they reject him. Jesus said in John 5, you know, search the scriptures for in them, in them you think you have eternal life and there they which testify of me. But the next verse says, but you will not, you will not come to me that I may give you life. And that's where we are. And, and it's sad. I, 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 I hate it. I wish there was something I could do about it. I wish there was some way I could help them understand what it is they're missing, whatever that missing link is that, that is hindering them or, um, if I could break down their pride, whatever it is, I wish, I wish I could do something about it. But the onus is on you. Grace is available. Forgiveness is available. Peace is available. All you got to do is trust in Jesus Christ. Like the Jews, people declare, we will not have this man to reign over us. 
Man would rather live in murder, violence, chaos, and disaster, but the, rather than trust in Jesus Christ. He is what they desire; they just don't want what he can give them on his terms. If he'll meet, if he'll meet with them on their terms and subject himself to them, then they might be okay with it. But if it means them coming to him the way he says, uh, I don't know about that. But the Lord will return. He will establish his kingdom in righteousness. He will rule with a rod of iron. Every knee will bow to him and every tongue will confess he is Lord. Why not choose to do that before you're forced to do it? Why not, why not do it now and, and receive the blessing of doing so rather than being forced to do it and then receiving the consequences of not doing so? Either direction is up to you. The choice is yours. I encourage you to trust in Jesus Christ. I've been on both sides of that equation. I praise God to be where I am now. Whatever that's worth to you, I, I hope it helps. I hope, I hope it gives you some understanding. But Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. And that salvation is available to you. I hope you'll take it. Thank you for listening. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.